Amen. I good morning, Bram. Man, it, there's nothing better than starting a sermon with the Pink Panther theme, right? I mean, come on, I'm, I'm aging myself here, grew up on, on the Pink Panther. Well, it is great to be with you today. In the late 80s, I had the opportunity to return to my birthplace, Pasadena, California, where I spent three wonderful years at Fuller Theological Seminary, and uh, spending those years was, was awesome. They called me Nature Boy. Because, you know, they are wimps out there. It's like middle of winter and it's 50 degrees. I'm like riding my 10-speed bike and shorts to class. I mean, come on, you wimps. It's like so warm for us tough Minnesotans. But it was so cool spending time in, in Southern California. I remember one span of three days, I went downhill snow skiing, mountain bike riding, and surfing in the ocean all in those three days. So you got it all out there, the mountains, the, the ocean, and the smog. It's so, it's so amazing. But I'll never forget our trip to the mountains. I think it was San Bernardino uh, skiing. And it was a couple of my roommates. I lived in a house called the Breezy Boys. And we'd have these breezy... Well, that's another story. But we were taken off for the mountains. It was Friday night. And uh, we were taking my car. And we were going on the massive 210 freeway that goes through Pasadena. I mean, like five lanes each. It's nothing around here, Okay. And we're just getting out of town, and I hear like a, it sounds like I hit a rock on the freeway. It went up in the rear tire well. And we thought nothing of it, but I kept going. And this car comes by, rolls down the window, and says, your right rear tire, your right rear tire. So we pull off the freeway on the shoulder and assess the situation. And it was the tread of the tire had come off, and the tire was bulging at one point probably seconds away from blowing, and who knows what, on a major highway on Friday evening. It's not rush hour, it's like rush afternoon in LA. It's like always rush hour, right? Well, when we were there, and and I just felt this presence like I had never felt before. And there was this sense of like, God is so good. I don't know if it was an angel or, or the Holy Spirit or something, but I felt so safe. So we changed the tire, went home, got another roommate's car, went away, had a great weekend. At the end of the weekend, I, I called home, and I was talking to my mom, and she said, John, what happened to you Friday night, 7 p.m.? I'm like, That's like right at the time when the tire thing happened. She said, I just felt a sudden urgency to pray for your safety. And we were like, whoa, God is so good, right, to urge to pray and then to respond on our behalf. You know, I really feel like there was an angel, there was some form of God's divine presence, and he felt so intimate with God, right, that he would cause my mom to pray, that he would intercede, that he would work like that. The Bible is full of stories like this, where his angels, where his presence causes the people to pray and sends an angel or some form of God's presence. As we continue the series, Prison Break, we're going through the story of the early church praying for, for the apostle Peter while he's chained in prison. Follow along as I read the story today. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries, stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. 
he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. If you get one thing today, here's our big idea. Things are not always as they appear. Through earnest prayer, we have access to God's power and presence to help with all of life's circumstances. So first of all, there's God's power in prayer. We read in verse 5 that the church prayed earnestly for Peter. The first church had just been rocked by the, and, and devastated by the, the martyrdom of, of the apostle James, the brother of John. Herod had killed James. He saw that this pleased the Jews. He was going to kill Peter. And in the story, his trial is really to kill him, to execute him. So this is what's going on. This is heavy. This has rocked the church. But things don't always happen as they appear, do they? They could have easily panicked. They could have easily gone into fear mode, gone into paralyzed mode by their situation. But they earnestly prayed for Peter. They prayed earnestly. They prayed fervently. They prayed constantly. They took the spiritual battle that was in front of them and they brought the situation before God with earnest prayer. This word earnestly is the same word that describes how Jesus prays in the garden, in the Mount of Olives, before he's arrested and crucified. So much so he prayed earnestly, we read, that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The situation for Peter was, was bleak. He's being held in the lower of two dungeons. And it's dark, the lower of two dungeons, right? He's chained between two guards, and there's at least two other guards guarding him 24-7. We'll read next week in the part of the story where he has to pass through multiple gates or barriers to escape prison. So on a natural human level, it doesn't look good. But things aren't always as they appear, are they? The purpose of our fast, this Daniel fast, uh, whether you're just hearing about it or you've been praying uh, and, and asking God to show you how you want to participate in the Daniel fast, the purpose is to be earnestly seeking God in prayer. To ask him to break out of whatever has been a prison to us, a major obstacle, a challenge in our life. And the challenge in our time of fasting is to go where we've never gone before, to demonstrate to God that we're utterly dependent on him and to have him break through in our life. Whatever big things we need to bring to him, we know that nothing is impossible for God. I think it's helpful just to say a word about spiritual disciplines because that might be kind of a foreign concept, but but fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that have been practiced since the church began. And the purpose of spiritual disciplines is just to make an effort to allow for the grace of God to come in our lives in a greater level. So whether it's fasting or uh, prayer, taking times of solitude and silence, practicing generosity, confession, worship, these are all disciplines, spiritual disciplines that say, hey, I'm going to take my step forward and do this in order that I may receive the grace of God. 
There's nothing that we earn through fasting. We don't put God in a box by, by fasting, right? We don't believe in the theology that God's a vending machine in the sky, right? Okay, God, I'm putting in my quarter of prayer. Now give me the candy. Where's my miracle? I did my part, right? No, it's, it's an effort. It says work out your faith, right, with fear and trembling. We just say, I'm going to do my part, part, God, but it's all your grace. We're saved by grace. And we receive breakthrough through grace. But we do our part. We make that effort. Have you ever experienced desperate, earnest prayer on your behalf or on behalf of others like the church did for Peter? Earnestly praying, God, we need, we need a Hail Mary. God, we need you to move. That's earnest prayer. And when you experience prayer like this, you can't ever go back to ho-hum, right? On your own working Christianity. When you experience God breakthrough, there's nothing like it. Is there anything in your life that is worth earnestly praying for? A prison break of some sort, a breakthrough, the hand of God to come on your behalf. Well, that's the purpose of our Daniel fast. And so at, when you go today, you'll get a chance to get a booklet that, that describes more of the fast and a booklet that's a 21-day devotional written by parts of the staff uh, just to encourage us in this effort to see God break through. There's something special, right? And it's done with a lot of grace. However God calls you to participate in this, it's done with a lot of grace. But there's something special about collectively seeking God together, collectively saying, God, I want to do this. I want to do the spiritual discipline and see you break through. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's going to be exciting to see what God does. Chick, Chip Ingram is a great uh, pastor out of California, a great evangelical leader, uh, radio host, great teacher I have long admired. And he, he was talking about a story. He randomly sat next to a guy on an airplane once who was studying about church growth and church planners. And Chip asked him, well, what's the, what's the one thing? What's the one common denominator that, that seems to be more than anything else? And the guy said, well, the one characteristic where you see growth is the pastor and leaders would fast and pray two to three times a week. That's dedication, right? We're just doing this once a year, but, but to try and seek God, to say, God, you got to do it. It's not our efforts. That's not very American, is it? Right? We need you to do this, God. That was the one characteristic. So again, the big idea is that things are not always as they appear. Through earnest prayer, we have access to God's power and presence to help with all of life's circumstances. So that's God's power in prayer. Secondly, God's presence in prayer. At times, we think God has abandoned us in our situations. We say he can't do this. In Peter's case, there's the bars, the locks, the guards, and the walls that, that don't do anything. There's no barrier to the ministering angel that comes. He came right in, and we'll see later, he does as he pleases in freeing Peter. But things are not always as they appear, because the church is earnestly praying and seeking God. God. 
And when we do that, God makes an appearance of some sort. In Daniel 6.22, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends, go to the fire, they find that God, an angel, or maybe Jesus himself is already there. We sing a song in our worship, uh, there was another in the fire. There was someone always there. In Acts 27.23, Paul was on a ship in a stormy sea, and an angel of the God he served stood by him and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. God has graciously given you all the lives of those who sail with you. And the ship is destroyed, but all survive. Have you ever felt you were in the presence of angels? Has God ever spared you from an accident? Have you felt a peace, a presence, a comfort from beyond this world? Daniel went to the lion's den, and God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Jesus went into the desert to fast and pray for 40 days, and after Satan came and tempted him and failed, it says that angels came and ministered to Jesus. The Bible's full of these angel stories, the presence of angels doing God's business. And church, I want to say it happens primarily for two purposes. First of all, Angels are God's messengers. They come to give us a message from God. And they're never worshipped. If people bow down to worship them, the angel tells them to, to get up, to stop. They are there to deliver a message from God. Secondly, they are ministering spirits to us. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They're messengers of God. And they're, they're ministering spirits to God's people. The truth is we don't see uh, as many angel stories in the New Testament that we did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was a primary form of communication. God to his prophets, God to his people to send the message. In the New Testament, Jesus has died on the cross. He has saved us. He's forgiven us. He's given us access by grace into God's presence. We have the Holy Spirit into us. So, We get these messages through his word, through his spirit, but there still are angel encounters. There's still spiritual warfare. There's still opportunities, as we see, for angels to come and to minister to God's people. I love the verse in Hebrews 13, 2, where it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Have you ever shown hospitality to someone and it's like uh, Arsenio, right? Things that make you go, hmm, could that be an angel? Uh, December 12th, I was ringing the bell for the Salvation Army at Walmart and uh, I had an awesome opportunity doing that. I've never done that before, but, but Bev Pettit asked me to do it and I've discovered that it's really hard to say no to Bev. So I rang the bell for three times. And uh, you can get kind of cold just standing there ringing the bell. I would make my circle in and out the doors to to warm up a little bit. And uh, this one uh, older lady came up to me and she said, is there anything I can get you? And I don't know. I'm just not Minnesota nice, right? I, I just didn't say, oh, no, no, no. I said, well, actually, a Snickers bar would be great. 
And so she went in and did a little shopping. A little while later, she came back with two of the huge twin packs of Snickers bars, right? And a water bottle. And she gave me this huge tray of cookies. And she said, take this home. Gave me a big hug. I was like, wow, that was sweet. So glad I'm not Minnesota nice. Well, after, after bell ringing, I went to pick up my youngest daughter, Faith, who had just had basketball practice, and we, we stopped into Cub and got some groceries, and I forgot to turn on my lights. And I caused an accident on 95 right outside of Walmart. Totaled my pilot. But thank God no one was hurt. I felt so stupid, right? But that night we're around the kitchen table and we're eating those cookies. And I said, you guys, this woman was either an angel or Jesus said this lady, be nice to this guy. He's going to have a rough afternoon. (laughs) There was something about it. There was something about God's goodness and his care even on a hard day. Things are not always as they appear. Through earnest prayer, we have access to God's power and presence to help with all of life's circumstances. In my early years of urban youth ministry in South Minneapolis, I got to do ministry alongside a great man of God, Reverend Chris McNair. We'd often take trips take kids on camping trips in our, in our different ministries. We served at Park Avenue United Methodist together, and Chris was an awesome man of God, awesome minister. He told me a story. He actually went to nationals in track in high school. And he said, as he was getting ready for his race, I don't remember, it was the 400 or the 800. He said, two men in, in track sweatsuits walked up to him and gave him a word of encouragement before his big race. After the race, he looked for him, and, and they weren't there. He asked everyone he knew, did you see these two men in the track sweatsuits? Nobody saw them. Chris believed these angels, these men were angels who came to minister to him, probably in response to someone's earnest prayers to care for him, to love him, to draw him closer to the Lord Jesus. Whether we see angels or not is not the point, church. But it's the 24-7 assurance that we are never alone. When we are following after, when we are obeying our Heavenly Father, we are never alone. I love the verse, Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. To forsake is to abandon, to desert, especially in our time of need. Church, we are not alone. Bottom line, we are never desperate. We're never out of luck. We're never out of hope. We always can pursue God's truth and his presence. And in this verse, we see a profound truth. Not only are we never alone, God doubles down. And he says, I will never forsake you. Take that spirit of rejection and abandonment. Take that. If you've ever felt those spirits, those are common spirits to feel rejected and abandoned. And life is hard, right? 
And we can be rejected and abandoned, but God says, never, never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. Never will I reject you. Never will I forsake you. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's our home we're looking for, the comfort, the companion, the voice of assurance and guidance. He will never leave, especially in our time of need. Pastor Dave Williams is our campus pastor in Isanti. And he told me this this amazing story. When, When he was 10 years old, he broke his skull in a church softball game. He remembers he was feeling very alone before this happened. He was actually teasing an older sister who was up to bat and he was catching. And she swung and missed and came around and smacked him on the head. Broke his skull. Everyone brought him into the kitchen and and called the hospital and said they're going to be on their way. And, And a man, a stranger, came in and picked him up and carried him to his parents' car, which, by the way, wasn't his parents' car. It was a rental while their car was being fixed. He'd never seen this man before, but the man prayed over him the whole way in carrying him to the car. And Dave remembers, this is one of the nicest men I've ever seen. After he was put in the car and his parents came and they were driving away, he saw this man just disappear into the pine trees outside the parking lot. After his surgery, and he recovered, he asked his mom, did you see that man? She said, yes. Did you know who that was? No. Nobody knew who that man was. He believes it was an angel, a ministering spirit to pray over him, to be the nicest man he'd ever met. And isn't God amazing? He not only supernaturally cared for him. He never, not only met his physical, medical needs, he cared his heart when he felt alone. And he sent an angel. God sends his presence. Whether or not we see angels is not the point. The point is that God wants to move his people to earnest prayer. That will see his power. That will experience his presence and see his provision in mighty ways. What is God calling you to bring before him in this time of the Daniel fast? How is God going to break through in your life and demonstrate his power, his never-failing love, and perhaps do a miracle right in our midst? Give him your heart. Give him your habits, your limitations, and ask him to demonstrate in amazing ways that you are not alone. You are not alone. May we come together in prayer, in fasting, in dependence on God, in total worship, and that God would move like he did for Peter and the church. Do it again, God. Do it again. Let's pray. Father God, we sing here in your presence. We're we're here in your presence. There's nothing like you, Jesus. There's nothing like your divine presence. 
There's nothing like your power. There's nothing like your love. There's nothing like your miracles. There's nothing like your compassion. God, you never give up on us. God, we want to see you move, whether it's angels or just your Holy Spirit, just, just your presence, just your word, God, speaking to us. We bow before you and we say, do it again, God. Father, in whatever way, by your grace, you, you encourage us to fast. Lord, in whatever way, God, make it clear to us. And we want to give you the praise and the glory and the honor in advance for what you're going to do. We just want to say thank you, Jesus. You've been so good. Show off, God. Show up and show off. And we'll give you all the praise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.